Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky. I'm the deputy director here at Citizen Action. It's great to be back. I've been away for a couple of weeks and I uh, got to tell you all, I, I missed the show, but uh, it's great to be back and have our two panelists with us, which means Claire Zauke, our healthcare director here at Citizen Action is with us. Claire, great to have you. Thank you. Good to be here. No, oh, we need you, Claire. We got a lot. We got <laughs> healthcare to talk about this week. We got lots of exciting things, Claire. Great to have you. And Robert Craig is with us, the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert Craig, good to see you. Uh, good day, everyone. It's a warm day, at least in southeast Wisconsin. Oh, 65 degrees today, folks, right? Like springs in the air. We're, we're on daylight savings. <laughs> so we, we should expect six inches of snow next week. Anyways, uh, we got a lot to talk about. Um, later in the show, we are going to be joined by Kirk Bankstead. He is from the Manaqua Brewing Super Pack, and we're going to talk about the lawsuit uh, Kirk is uh, bringing against three Wisconsin congressionals. This lawsuit has definitely struck a nerve for good reason. Kirk's going to tell us more about that later in the show. But look, we're, we record Thursday mornings. I actually uh, started the morning by listening to the president of Ukraine uh, address Congress. Uh, in, in many ways, it's very fitting. We are globally, and I think everyone's been feeling this, there is, there's a lot of big stakes uh, right now going on around in our world. And, you know, we certainly are not at war, like what's going on in uh, Ukraine right now. But it sometimes can feel that politically, and certainly as it relates to just sort of the core functions of our democracy, definitely feels like that in this state. And, and, and there's a lot to talk about this week related to that. And I want to start by talking about just the big lie, the, the January 6th insurgent, the whole idea that the 2020 election was stolen. Uh, this week, Robin Voss announced that I believe it's today he'll be meeting with basically, let's just conspiracy theorists uh, who want to decertify uh, the election and are urging <laughs> the state of Wisconsin to decertify the election. This is crazy. Claire, I was gone for two weeks and I just thought I could come back and all this stuff <laughs> be fixed. Uh, Claire, Robin Voss clearly not walking away from the fight, in addition to, of course, Gableman being re-upped. But Claire, meeting with these conspiracy theorists, this can't be a good this can't be helpful for the Republicans other than with their base. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the that's the thing, right, is that it depends on how you define helpful. And um, I'm sure that helpful that to democracy, Claire, no. <laughs> helpful to democracy. It is not um, helpful towards uh, fanning the flames of partisan divide that agitates um, some legislators base then. It probably is helpful to keep this charade going. Um, I will say this. I, I, you know, I read the news coverage uh, that came out um, late yesterday, Wednesday for, for us um, that, that talked about Voss meeting with these folks and everything in it seemed to indicate that I don't think Voss is tremendously likely to be swayed. He's been pretty public uh, in in just about every single interview and statement, including to the legislature and the media, 
that that there is just not a legal case for trying to decertify the election, nor would it do anything. Um, and he has said both of those things publicly. This feels like, uh, you know, political insider negotiations in the caucus, like he needs to kowtow to this group because they are a growing uh, political force in the caucus, which I, I think is the real story here, actually. Um, so that's that's my take on it. Uh, and I hope that lead doesn't get buried, but I'm sure Robert will will pick that thread up. And that makes sense, Claire. We've been talking about this for over a year, the split that Voss has been dealing with within the caucus. The, we call it the QAnon caucus. Yeah, Robert, your thoughts. So this schism is in many ways not a schism with voters, Republican voters. In other words, the folks who are winning elections are the folks who are in the election denial side of all of this, the big lie side of this, and they're followers of the disgraced former president, Donald Trump, who, want, who wants either to win by falsely decertifying the 2020 election loss, I mean, decertifying Biden's victory, in other words, or winning in 2024, and he's the presumptive nominee if he runs and if he remains healthy enough to run. He is an older man. I don't know other inside information. And big lies like this are what lead to situations like Ukraine, because Vladimir Putin has made Ukraine on a series of big lies and controls the media. And what the Ukrainian people are facing is what happens if you do not check this before violence is the only solution. In other words, through elections and through courts and through the other normal procedures of constitutional government and liberal democracy. And we're in the twilight stage in the sense that if we don't win this cycle and the next cycle, we could be in, a, in the beginning of a Putin-esque situation, not immediate war, but maybe equivalent to when Putin seized power from Boris Yeltsin. Right. And then began to create an authoritarian and totalitarian state and complete control of the political system and the media. And we'll get to the media later in Battleground Wisconsin. That that matters a lot in all of this as well. Uh, so there's a real problem that, you know, where Vladimir Zelensky made an eloquent speech to, uh, today, that is Wednesday, that we're recording this week in Congress this morning, um, about the, the fight the Ukrainians have undertaken and the need for people to do more to support them, given that they put it all on the line, right? And I have ideas on that, but we will. that's not our topic. So let me just say that we need to think about what actors in our system, what of our allies are actually being courageous enough to save democracy and rebuild it now when it's easier to do than after you've lost it and when you actually entered into some form of authoritarianism. And it really gets down, I'm applying something from anti-racism to the whole situation. Even McKinney says, and how to be anti-racist very eloquently, that political leaders need to be able to take risks and be courageous and risk their own reelections. And when they don't do that, they perpetuate racism. Well, in the same case, when they don't do that and, and to defend democracy, Matt and Claire, they actually uh, enable the end of democracy. Yeah, look, I mean, <clears throat> this is we, we've talked a lot about this. We think it's very important to not for, for us to keep talking about what happened on January 6th, how all of this stuff is interconnected, because it is one of the, it is going to be one of the defining issues in this election. It's it's not going away. 
and Claire's Claire's right. Robin Voss is doing a dance here, but it is uh, also perpetuating the reality that this issue isn't going to go away. It's and and we need to keep reminding folks how this is connected to January sixth. Uh, the other the other news. Yeah, Matt, is, I was going to yep. say on Voss, if he, it's clear this is political opportunism is another factor that he will go along with this if it's in his political interest, that there is no principle, he's not showing any courage, but I'm going beyond Voss. I'm saying there are actors who are Democrats who aren't doing enough either to defend democracy, but people like Voss who know better, but go along for political reasons, they're absolutely part of the threat to democracy and they're enablers of it. Yeah, no, and again, this is why we've been saying you that we can't you can't not talk about this enough we know voters want to see action on this and you know we're going to have kirk on later and uh, you know his lawsuit taps into i think some of that frustration but um uh there was an eau claire uh, gentleman i use that term loosely who just was prosecuted this week for his role in the insurrection and you know i put something up on social media and it just strikes a nerve with people they and people don't feel what his punishment was and i don't remember the deets on it but it was minimal quite frankly is enough there is an, a sense of anger that people are getting away with this that this is happening and there's virtually no one really being held accountable including pres the former president um in addition, this week, before we go, we just have a couple minutes. Uh, it, you know, look, the election commission's not going to sanction Republicans who posed as presidential electors. We've talked about that. We think that is a big issue. But um, look, folks, the, the election commission isn't really set up to do something like that. And other news, there's, I believe, there was another DA that yesterday also declined to prosecute the election commission. We've and we've already had the Milwaukee and Racine County DAs pass on any sort of uh, effort to go after the election commissions. But let's not kid ourselves; that effort will not end, Robert. And let me just add on the election commission: there are two factors. I think reading the tea leaves, I don't have inside information. One is that uh, what is what is the, what is the, cha the charter uh, and the charge of the election commission, which laws it enforces, and there are really first-tier lawyers on this uh, commission. Mark Thompson and Jacobs come to mind, and it may just be that the statutes they enforce are not violated by this, and this is really a matter of federal statute or other fraud statutes that Wisconsin Attorney General would enforce and has not shown the boldness I was talking about earlier. Josh Call, that is. But the other reason is this is a commission that operates by consensus. And it may also be that the Democrats decided it'd be better to have a six vote vote on this so they can get six vote votes on things like enabling people to vote. Do you see what I mean? So there's yeah. probably an election commission politics and a legal issue here for them. Yeah. And, and this this is not the entity I would have been looking to uh, enforce this. But with that, folks, we have got to take a break. You're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. We're also all over the socials, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, please uh, give us a follow there. So. I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about some news that broke and it, you know, it of course got kind of buried 
because in the only place that would cover it, that's the Journal Sentinel. <laughs> and the news is Gannett announced that it is closing its West Milwaukee printing plant later this year. Actually, it sounds like in a couple of months, uh, very shortly. Um, and just to remind folks, Gannett owns the Journal Sentinel and a slew of other papers throughout the state, Green Bay, Appleton, to name a few, Wausau, a number of them. Uh, the papers, you got to be like, okay, they're closing the printing plant. Where are they going to print the papers? Uh, Peoria, Illinois. Folks, I drive to Peoria from Milwaukee regularly <laughs> to go race motorcycles. It's a bit of a drive. That's a, it's, that's a close to a four-hour drive. And if you're, I think if you're hauling newspapers, it's going to be a little bit longer. Um, this the paper, the print version has already been kind of dying we know that but this is this is close to nail and coffin claire um this is i mean as as a generation who grew up on newspapers um <laughs> don't know that i'd want to pick one up because the minute it's dropped off at my door it's probably already a day old after this claire yeah uh, I, I agree. I, this is, um, a real death blow to the print edition of the newspapers, or I shouldn't say it's a death blow. I think this is, um, the, like the, a point of sharper incline in the decline of, uh, print media, um, in Wisconsin. And, uh, to give you some context, uh, so this, this, company is Gannett, um, and Gannett is part of the sort of USA Today network. Um, and the papers in Wisconsin that Gannett owns that will all be printed in Peoria um, after mid-May are, uh, of course, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, which we said, but also the Green Bay Press-Gazette, the Appleton Post-Crescent, the Wausau Daily Herald, Oshkosh Northwestern, Fonda Lack Reporter, Sheboygan Press, Manitowoc Herald Times Reporter, Stevens Point Journal, Wisconsin Rapids Tribune, and Marshville March Marshfield News Herald. Uh, those are a lot of Wisconsin newspapers. That's almost every major Wisconsin newspaper, right? I mean, notable omissions that are still independent are, I think, the Eau Claire Leader Telegram and the, the La Crosse Tribune. Um, but uh, like most of the big newspapers um, in the city, um, especially in sort of the northern part of the state, are owned by Gannett. And the real question I have is how do they expect to have timely news at all in the print edition of these papers when the papers have to be driven so far in order to get to their destinations? I mean, if you think about, and also the, and that's just like, if we're just making the assumption that they're going straight from Peoria to all of these cities, that's still like a five hour drive, right. To get from Peoria to Wausau. But I assume that they're not going to dispatch them or we I think we could make an assumption that they're not going to dispatch directly to each one of these places that they might put them on a truck and, and make a few stops at a time. So let's say from Peoria, you got to go to Milwaukee and maybe then you go to Oshkosh and then you go to Wausau. Now you're looking at like what, an eight hour drive? Like, I just don't know how they're going to distribute all of these papers and still expect to have anything remotely timely in them. Um and they, yep. and this is, you know, they're, they're pretty transparent about the fact that like they're doubling down on being just a digital media company. And, um, that's a, that's a real shame in my mind. Well, 
I, I mean, look, and I was before the show started, Claire, I was telling you my neighbor on both sides of me, they, they still get the newspaper, right? Maybe 10 years older than me, but that is, it is aging out. And look, we're, we're a podcast. Part of the reason we exist is because we believe that media and the, the other traditional media was not doing a service to cover politics the way we felt it needed to be done and particularly covering what goes on in the Capitol in Madison and how that relates what's happening with our local electeds who go to Congress. Um, so we've been around for a decade watching the decline and feeling that gap. But I agree with you, Claire, this is, this means something uh, because it was a print paper, Robert. Yeah. So the interesting thing about freedom of the press is it's enshrined in the U.S. Constitution as something that is basic to having constitutional government, yet it does. there's no official government protection of it other than a protection from government censorship. So it's grown up as a private sector thing. It was not perfect in the 19th century. Newspapers were created by individual wealthy people or by entrepreneurs who could get a printing press and often perpetuated, you know, defense of slavery, racism, uh, xenophobia and anti-immigrant feeling, you name it, right? Um, and so it was not necessarily representative. Um, what's happened in the modern era is, is that we're a corporatizing era. It's become more and more consolidated and we're talking about for-profit corporations that trade on Wall Street and their major goal is not to produce news whatsoever, but to uh, to produce entertainment that produces profit. And if it's more profitable, we allowed under Reagan to start allowing venture and vulture capitalists to gut companies for short-term profit, which was not allowed before. A lot of these companies have simply been taken over and gutted for no other reason other than to help speculators and hedge funds and then left with huge liabilities, you know, where they'll take the profitable pieces of the corporation and spin them out and then leave one that's bankrupt. And that's partly what we're looking at with Gannett here. And so Matt is totally right. The only growing part of, of the media is nonprofit media. Now that has a problem too. It has to get major foundations to support it. And that's not ideal either, but it's better than not having coverage, but there are huge news deserts yeah. developing all over the state of Wisconsin, all over the country. And it's a threat to democracy. I think it's time, just like we need to do something about uh, the big social media companies and tech firms and what they do to democracy for the government to have much firmer uh, position and, and structures that guarantee a free and open media, which is essential to democracy. <laughs> so Gannett is cutting down, cutting down, cutting down because that is what Wall Street demands, given whatever business model they have and what have they been left with from a series of mergers and acquisitions. Yeah, look, I mean, this I just it, it I was struck. We we're struck by this um, in terms of how important and seminal moment it is, because, I mean, look, these were print print. And, and quite frankly, print is where. A lot of the stuff that we talk about used to get covered, right? You mentioned it, Robert. There were multiple papers, right? All of that. Um, and part of why we exist is because those old medias were failing to deliver any kind of real content on this. Look, you guys know, I put, I put together sort of a lot of the topics and news articles and other things for this show. The Journal Sentinel, while it's a, certainly a significant player in that, 
can't hold a candle to some of the nonprofit media in terms of who's breaking the stories, who's actually well, the first place where I go is the examiner every day, right? Like I, it's not even close. The Journal Sentinel will come next, right? Because there's going to be more actual state and content and things that talk about the issues that, you know, we care about. So uh, it's just, it, it was worth so uh, mentioning. Know, the examiner's funded like Fifth National Wisconsin, by Nonprofit. individual people and by large uh, institutional donors like foundations. It's, they, they have the same structure and business model that a social justice group like Fifth and Action has, very different than a Gannett. And yet the quality of journalism there is outstanding. And I'm going to take this opportunity to, <laughs> again, congratulate uh, Isaiah Holmes. Uh, I want to remind folks he's on the Citizen Action. This is not that podcast uh, that comes out bi-weekly. Uh, he, it, again, won another, uh, won another award for his amazing journalism and his coverage of uh, Wauwatosa. But uh, just... Uh, Look, this was a great conversation. Claire, I want to give you any final comments on uh, on this topic. Claire? Just that uh, I hope that in this move, Gannett continues to support the reporters that they have here. Um, I, I think that in the Milwaukee area, the closing of this print uh, facility, which is not that old, by the way, it was built, I think, in 2003. Yep. Um, I live pretty near it. Um, is going to mean the layoff of almost 200 employees. Um, and of course, in the coverage uh, in the Journal Sentinel of the move, the uh, editor is said it's saying something like um, uh, there should not be an impact on our advisor or on advertisers. <laughs> I mean, let's look at their print coverage as if like that's the thing that we are worried about here. I was super um, worried about that. Thank you for bringing that up, Claire. <laughs> I, I will sleep better tonight. Yeah, I know. It was probably you were like, what about the advisors um, and their paid ad space? Um, so, you know, <laughs> our uh, our my thoughts are with the people who are losing their jobs. Um, that's uh, it's a real that facility is a real boon to the neighborhood around it. But I hope that they continue to support the staff that they do have left, mainly their reporters. Um, it's, uh, it, you know, like you say, a lot of people are looking to other places like the Wisconsin Examiner, but they um, they do have some investigative reporters and they do have some folks covering state news and whatnot um, that I that I think are important staff members and do um, good work. So um, yep. ho hopefully, hopefully the, the quality of the work there is maintained. Let's hope. But <laughs> the trajectory seems apparent. Um, and with that, we got to take a break. We're going to be joined on the other side of this break by Kirk Bankstead. And again, folks, Kirk is with the Monaco Brewing Super Pack, and they have much to talk about related to the, uh, shall we say, January 6th, the insurrection, the big lie, all the things we've been talking about earlier. You're listening to the Battle Down Wisconsin. Welcome back. To the battleground wisconsin again we're citizen action you can find us at citizenactionwi.org we are super excited to have kirk bankstead with us we've had him on before uh kirk is with the monaco brewing super pack kirk thanks for joining us hey thanks thanks to be on i you guys always do good work uh we worked with you guys in the past talking about gerrymandering up north so uh happy to be on thanks a lot yeah exactly well you know kirk one of the things what there's many things we like about you, uh, but one of the core things is 
you really have a good sense for when there is a huge gap in what is missing in sort of core progressive advocacy um, and step in and seem to strike a nerve, certainly the redistricting. Uh, we've had you on public education uh, around COVID. But this one, this, this lawsuit uh, that you have filed, that the PAC has filed against three uh, of our, our congressmen, that would be uh, Senator Ron Johnson uh, and Congressman Tiffany and Fitzgerald, uh, that essentially says, like, in a nutshell, that they are not fit for office uh, due to yep. their behavior, their votes around uh, the 2020 election. Kirk, tell our listeners more. Yeah. So before we get into the lawsuit, you know, it's like it's not it's I don't think it's a super PAC's job to be doing the jobs of attorney generals, governors, the American Justice Department. So uh, well, I'm going to talk about this. But at the end of the day, like. I just I just cut a seventy thousand dollar check of people's money who have donated, you know, up fifty average of forty uh, fifty dollars uh, a donation. Uh, we raised about forty forty five thousand dollars in the last three days from from average folks spending fifty dollars to to fund this lawsuit. I shouldn't have to be doing that, by the way. Uh, that's not that shouldn't be my job. It shouldn't be a super PAC's job. It shouldn't be a, a guy who owns a brewery's job. It should be the folks who are actually Democrats who have the power to take hold these guys accountable. So uh, it's kind of irritating to me that 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 we don't have that kind of uh, you know, intestinal fortitude uh, in, in among our leaders. But here's here's the uh, here's the here's the suit. So. Uh, I got the idea because North Carolina took Madison Cawthorn to court. Uh, Madison Cawthorn is a congress congressman who actually like showed some of these insurrectionists around the Capitol the day before uh, this happened. So I mean, the the link between him being completely criminal and 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 what happened is 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 much stronger. Um, however, we made a 70 page complaint and my lawyers are really awesome they're they're corporate trial attorneys they usually do big corporate work but they're progressive folks out of milwaukee who took this on and they're getting paid but they're doing a good job and uh they did a 70 page complaint that uh basically told the story of how uh, how an insurrection the insurrection started the day after the election and it started because donald trump said I'm going to I'm going to take this election no matter if it's legal or not. Then he said, lawyers, figure out a way to make that happen. And so his lawyers, uh, Eastman and Chesborough, devised this plan where seven states would submit fraudulent electors, including Wisconsin. These are the seven states that had like tiny margins of victory for Biden. The goal was three three scenarios might come out of these fraudulent electors. The fraudulent electors are the electors that get submitted to like the Smithsonian Institute and get submitted to Congress. And, you know, it's it's a ceremonial thing. The electors have already been there. I mean, it's already a done deal. Like these electors are not there's nothing to be settled anymore when these electors meet and put their names to a to a sheet and send it send it over to Congress. It's kind of just ceremonial. But uh, their idea was to submit fraudulent electors um, and three scenarios might happen from that. A, they wanted to get Mike Pence to just accept those fraudulent slates of electors as opposed to the real ones, which was crazy by any stretch of the imagination um, and illegal. Two, they wanted to say, well, we've got one slate of electors and another slate of electors uh, because the election was so screwed up in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania and Arizona because because 
because we don't know who was voting, who wasn't voting. We're going to throw out both sets of electors and we're going to let the House of Representatives decide. So by the Constitution of the United States, if you throw the election to the House of Representatives, every state gets one vote as opposed to the electoral college where states like California get like 50 votes and Wisconsin gets like 10, you know? And so if every state gets one vote, guess who wins the election? Donald Trump. Uh, because you got a lot more small states that voted for him than, than big states. So that was scenario number two was to try to get this, was to get Pence to do the same illegal thing, but get the House of Representatives to, to get into the play. The third scenario was for Pence to say, so screwed up. This election was so screwed up in these seven states. We're going to let the state legislatures figure it out. And obviously our state legislature is about as corrupt as you can get in Wisconsin. So if you're going to let our state legislature figure out who's how to re recast these electors, they're going to do it for Trump. So those are the three scenarios that, uh, that these lawyers, uh, devised. They spread, I mean, this is all conjecture. We're piecing it together, obviously. We, I mean, I don't want to get sued for defamation. This is what we think happened because unfortunately, we're not getting anything from Merrick Garland. You know, we're, we're this, it's a very closed-lipped investigation, but, but, we, but the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says if, if you committed insurrection against the United States, you're not fit to run for office anymore and you, sh- and you, sh- you shouldn't be put on a ballot. Unfortunately, you can't litigate this stuff in time for the 2022 elections unless you file the suit today or last week like we did. It might already be too late, but we waited as long as we could to hear anything from anybody and nothing happened. So the uh, so we filed this lawsuit um, because that story of the fraudulent electors, they did they they did what they needed to do. These lawyers told the states to submit fraudulent electors. We got fraudulent electors and then they told allegedly told all these lawmakers to say the election was rigged. We can't count on the election. We, Milwaukee, Madison, how could you dump all these thousands of hundreds of thousands of votes in Milwaukee at the dead of night? You know, so they 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 were part of the getaway car of this bank heist of the democracy heist. They didn't point the gun. They didn't sign their things on the fraudulent electors, uh, Johnson, Tiffany and Fitzgerald, but they essentially drove the getaway car. They were part of the heist be by con- trying to confuse the electorate so much that we'd accept Pence getting rid of the real electors or, 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 or discarding both sets of electors. So that's basically our argument. And we think, I mean, rationally, it's a strong case. Now we got to get a judge to buy into it. Robert? Yeah, I want to commend you, Kirk, for doing this. And you could not be more right. We were talking about Ukraine and the bravery of Vladimir Zelensky and what happens when you don't defend democracy. You end up with a Ukraine situation, ultimately, or Russian situation with having a Putin be your leader. And so uh, that's the courage you have to show later if you don't show it now. And we have, I think, Merrick Garland and Josh Call need to actually defend democracy and defend the rule of law because this isn't you know maybe their not role is not to defend democracy but it is to defend the rule of law and they seem so cautious that they're just going to make it much harder to to prevent much worse scenarios so i think you're right that it's good that a brewer sam adams is a brewer too stepped forward when others would not right so, so yeah let me let me just jump in there like, like yeah you know your your members, you're listening to this right now. The people who donate money to me, um, you know, they're 
they're they're going to think this party's run by a bunch of rich, lo, rich, cautious lawyers who who really, if we lose our democracy, it doesn't really matter to them because uh, you know because they're already rich, they're making money, and 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 they're just going to play it safe, going to keep on playing it safe and not not go down to the mat for democracy, and that's not going to help turn out voters in 2022 unless these guys start stepping up. Yeah, and let me just speak to the merits. Uh, is is fascinating. The Electoral College, you cannot be more right. It's it never served its function since it was created. It was created a stopgap in case democracy went wild. And it's, it's like the appendix in a body. It doesn't have any function, but it can be very da- dangerous if uh, something happens with it. And so, but the, the, the uh, 14th Amendment is what you're referring to, one of our most uh, hallowed amendments after the Civil War. And this had to do with what do you do with all the former Confederates? Because the, the newly constituted states after the Civil War in the South had sent people like the vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Hamilton Stevenson, back to Congress. And they actually thought about removing their voting rights forever. And it was a big controversy, that and other parts of African-American disenfranchisement. And they came up with barring from office anyone who was involved in revolution or insurrection. So just on the, on the reading and the intent, because you had to be broader, you couldn't just say Confederates in a constitutional amendment, you had to make it a principle um, of insurrection. It all turns on whether courts decide this was insurrection or not, because I think you're right. If it was, this was part of an insurrectionary conspiracy. Uh, there's certainly probable cause and re- strong reason to believe that. Now, the issue here is, is that courts and what the Constitution says are two different matters. I mean, the 14th Amendment was later distorted into defending corporate rights and not defending what was intended to defend, which was African-American voting rights and equality under the law. And so I don't know the precedent, your lawyers are better, but God knows what courts have made of this, what the level of it, proof for insurrection they think there is or how gutsy they're willing to be. But by the plain reading of the Constitution, uh, as amended in the 14th Amendment, this is a very valid lawsuit, not frivolous in the least. So I want to compliment you on that. Well, Thanks. Kirk, we're going to quick take a break and right on the back end, we're going to keep diving in. Kirk, do you have a do you have a few more minutes to stick with us? Yeah, absolutely. OK, beautiful. You're listening to Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking with Kirk Bankstead about this very important lawsuit uh, that he has filed. Uh, Claire. Hey, Kirk. Um I'm curious, how do you think the WEC, WEC decision plays into this? Okay, and so, can you tell us what that is? Remind yeah, us, remind us. So the Wisconsin Elections Commission um, uh, is the body that was created by Republicans where they appoint three Democrats and three Republicans to kind of adjudicate uh, elections in Wisconsin. It was destined to fail. Uh, it was designed to fail by Republicans and just create conflict um, so that, you know, there'd be harder, it'd be harder to be transparent about elections. So in and of itself, the, the board is flawed. However, there are three Democrats on the board. Um, and so just yesterday, we got a, uh, we got a decision that that's been waiting for a year and two months. Um, Law Forward, the uh, progressive uh, nonprofit group of lawyers, filed a complaint when they saw these fraudulent electors, uh, you know, these th- that paper just get get passed. They filed a complaint a year and two months ago, right after the election or right after that fraudulent lecture 
election thing happened. And the WEC has sat on it for a, a year and two months. Well, you know, basically rendering the complaint, you know, it's like, like justice delayed is justice denied. So yesterday, we just got this six, a unanimous decision, all the three Democrats and the three Republicans said they were not going to hold the fraudulent electors accountable. Um, when we heard that this, this affects our lawsuit to a certain degree, not really, because we knew that the WEC was a, a disaster of an organization. So we went to a federal court when we filed our lawsuit. And our goal is to have a federal judge say that we're right, and then show that to the WEC and say, you guys better take these guys off the ballots, take Johnson, Tiffany and Fitzgerald off the ballot, or we're going to have to take you to federal court. You know, so we knew that we couldn't go through the WEC to get anything done because our state's so corrupt. But uh, uh, we uh, but we do think it still hurts because you have three you have three Democrats on that board who somehow voted to not hold fraudulent electors accountable. Now, before before I like take a shotgun, <laughs> I mean, I mean, just before I like 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 use my fingers to like blow the heck out of these three Democrats. I think there might be some bigger picture here that I don't know about. And so I'm not going to I'm not going to, you know, be completely crazy. But but that that vote needs to be explained by one of those three people very soon, because it seems to me that uh, not holding these folks accountable is the opposite of what any Democrat, especially in a position of power on the Wisconsin Elections Commission, should be doing right now. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because we uh, and this is a little bit before you hopped on. But at the beginning of the show, we talked about this issue a little bit and kind of speculated that maybe one or two things here were going on and that um, one one is that uh, that the legal authority of the Election Commission just may not have be like as broad as would need to be in order to do something. Um, like the things that they have authority over may not be the the mechanisms by which you could hold some of these folks accountable. Um, yeah. And then let me the jump in right thing, there. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, follow, sorry about that. Yeah. So and the second thing is is that like you know and Robert I think rightfully pointed out at, at one point that the uh, election commission is a body that you know for political reasons usually governs by consensus and so knowing that they that the the Democratic members knowing that they couldn't win over the Republican members may have said look we're not going to win this vote let's let's do this thing by unanimous consent so that when we need to win something else election related, the next time there's a vote, we haven't yeah. sowed a tremendous amount of, of discord amongst <laughs> yeah. the members. Okay, so that, so that, those were kind of our speculations there. As usual, uh, that's complete Stockholm syndrome. Let's, let's appease the bully so we hope they don't beat us up worse the next time. Do you, do you think after all that we've been through in the last 15 years that uh, that those three Republican members of the WEC have made any concessions or will make any concessions in the future to act as a as a as a legitimate governing body. I I mean, even if they think so internally, um, you can't. I mean, you. I mean, listen. I'm 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 trying not to throw these guys under the bus right now, but they, I'm. It's been 24 hours and I'm still pretty mad. Um, I don't think that the message that is coming out of these three Democrats is the right message for folks who are desperate for, to see justice uh, done from the attempted coup against Biden. It's possible the statute that they enforce doesn't cover this. Now, in that case, it would be better if they said the attorney general should look at this. He governs the statutes 
uh, that affect this, or to say it's federal law, the U.S. Attorney General said, rather than making it look like they're exonerated, which I think is part of your point here, Kirk, yeah. even if you and I don't know the law specifically that they're governed to look at, though I know the folks at Law Forward think that there was a legitimate case here, just to make that clear, and that's in the media coverage. But then they did get a lot of COVID um, adjustments, the ones that they're now claiming mean the election needs to be decertified, right? from those yeah. three Republicans. And so there is some history of them getting, you know, getting beyond a 3-3 deadlock. And I don't know if they, we were just speculating as to whether that's what was going on. But I think it would have been helpful if it was a, really was a legal issue here because they're good lawyers on the Democratic side for them to have made clear who does have the authority over the laws that would govern this. Yeah, so, so Jeff Mandel went on a tweeting rampage last night, which, uh, which was great because I mean, as, as brilliant as he is on our side, uh, sometimes I think he's a little tentative as well. Um, obviously, there's a lot of people who are more tentative than we, you are as an organization or I am. <laughs> so maybe that's calling a spade a spade. But, so, but he went on the rampage yesterday and um, he said, first of all, the WEC shouldn't, uh, shouldn't make any of these decisions unless one member recuses himself. This is one of the fraudulent electors is on the board of the WEC. Uh, what's a Spindel, right? Swindell, yeah. Yeah. Or so, Spindel or Swindel, so, yeah. so Mandel was like, this isn't even a legitimate uh, like press release that these guys made or a legitimate decision because one of the members is one of these accused. The second bit was they, they, there was, he said, it's flawed on process, it's flawed on law, and it's flawed on history, I think he said. And so the, the history is, um, you know, there's there's a or the laws, there's a complete separation between criminal, the criminal behavior and um, censuring these people for doing something, you know, like bad at the WEC level. They could still censure without having to wade into the whether or not these guys should go to jail or not. So like it's it's called a punt and it's a punt by cautious, rich lawyers. That's I think what is happening here. And I, I it just takes the wind out of my sails, although the wind is still fully at my sails, but it's like, it should be disheartening uh, to, to anybody that, that, that the folks on our side who let this happen um, did so without a disclaimer, without like the, if you're in the minority on like the Supreme Court, at least you can write your little piece, uh, you know, your dissent on why you think this is wrong. We got nothing out of our three Democrats and we need something, I think, in the next 24 hours before, before I get really angry. So Kirk, I'm going to step in and just uh, encourage you not to be dispirited because we're having a, a, a good legal discussion here. Um, it's sort of like discussing gerrymandering. We kind of knew we had a good idea where it was going to end, but we got to have the conversation. And what your lawsuit is doing is it is driving this conversation. I can tell you as someone who does our <clears throat> social media the three posts we did this week with news articles about this were easily our top three posts in months because it resonates with people. It resonates with our base who feels everything that you've articulated. But I want to remind everyone it resonates with swing voters. We have talked about the the, the Democrats have their own internal. Right. We have polling. Uh, focus groups of swing voters in Green Bay, in Milwaukee, in the state that says they are upset 
They're still upset about uh, January 6th. They don't understand why there haven't been more investigations. They don't feel like enough has been done. These are swing voters, people, some of them who voted for Trump and then voted for Biden, right? Uh, that we need to win elections and you are communicating to them. You are that fight. This lawsuit is that. So it has a very, very critical political role, which may be quite frankly, more important than the legal, because at the end of the day, we have a, an effed up legal system here. So, you know, would true justice in these folks, you know, at the end, I just want you to understand from an organizing principle, keep the fight up, keep your head up. It don't matter. This this lawsuit needs to stay and keep going forward talking about it in this issue uh, because it is absolutely uh, strikes a nerve because it's well, the right thing to be talking. I think about. You're, I think you're right. And and, you know, we I don't think I want to get to the discovery phase. I want to judge. We pulled Edelman, which is he's a very apparently a, a progressive judge in Milwaukee in the federal eastern district. Um, we want to get past the motion to dismiss. And we want to get to discovery because we think if we could get these guys texts and emails, I mean, it's probably already happening at the January 6th committee, but not in terms of removing them from a ballot. If we can get their texts and emails that are happening in two months, we, I think we, we could, we're going to show the show Wisconsin and show America how nefarious these guys were. So politically, yes, I think we should keep this in the news until the election. But legally, I think we got a shot at this. If we can get past the you motion do. to dismiss. Kirk, I know Lynn Edelman personally, and he was in the state Senate before he was a judge, and he worked him as a federal judge. He's our best possible draw. So that is, he will look for what he could legally do and try to make a case that can be sustained by conservative judges as well. He's very good at that. Awesome. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave it. I know that Citizens Action needs all your money, and you should do that. But this is gonna be an expensive lawsuit, and so uh, if 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 you've already given as much as you possibly can give to Citizens Action, uh, we would love a little bit of help too, because my super PAC can't handle an entire law firm, <laughs> uh, you know, paying an entire law firm for months and months on end to do this. So I'm hoping for a little bit of help. Look, uh, though, folks, uh, though, uh, the U.S. attorney or the Wisconsin attorney general could bring in their resources. Right, Kirk? And let's hope they, they could. do that. We shouldn't have to pay for this. This should which, be what our tax taxes pay for. Which, by the way, is is a great other side conversation that you always generate is just reminding that, <clears throat> you know, there are other folks and we have people we need people to fight, you know, and sometimes even if some fights and I'm not saying yours is, but <clears throat> some fights may seem challenging or even quixotic at times, if they're the right thing to do and they actually organize and move people and lay out an agenda and speak to the kind of values in the world we want, we need to engage in more of this. The other side does it to us all the time. Oh exactly. my God. Kirk, thank you so much for leading uh, on this, uh, putting your, your own sort of skin in the game too, and uh, engaging people. Like uh, the idea that you got thousands of people from across Wisconsin in this country helping support uh, this effort is great. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. Great. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, guys. We definitely want to thank Kirk Bankstead for joining us. Just uh, it's uh, great to always talk with him. Thank our producer, Brian Wildridge, who makes this podcast happen every week. It's great to be back. Appreciate my co-panelists uh, picking up the slack while I was gone. We'll see you all folks next week here at the Battleground Wisconsin.